Morning, everyone. Sorry. It's going to snap off one day. <clears throat> well, the human desire for revenge seems to be written into our DNA. All you have to do, if you don't believe that, all you have to do is watch a primary school playground long enough and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, right? One kid has a toy, the other kid sees that toy, I want that, so he grabs it. And then, pretty soon, you hear the famous battle cry, mine! (laughs) Then, there's a tug of war that happens, And then eventually some kind of a fight breaks out because the kid thinks, this is my toy. And if you're going to take my toy, either I'll take one of your toys or I'll try to hurt you because how dare you take this from me? I'm going to retaliate. We don't have to teach children to retaliate, do we? They just do it. We see it happen all the time. The habit of revenge is all too common in our society today. If someone pushes you, well, push back. I can recall growing up as a kid when someone insulted you or shoved you on the playground, many children would then chime in, ooh, you gonna take that? Can you feel it swelling up and you, no, I'm not gonna take that. How dare this punk embarrass me in in front of all my friends, shame me, belittle me? I'll make sure he never does this again, at least not to me. And then fight, 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 right? A big fight breaks out. Now, fathers have been known to teach their children. My grandpa actually taught this to me. He said that if someone hits you, hit them back twice as hard, (laughs) right? And don't start a fight, but if someone else starts a fight, you better make sure that you end the fight. Now, that seems sensible, and for my grandpa, who wasn't a Christian, by the way, typical grizzled World War II type of guy, can you picture the type I'm talking about? That was his theory, and mine seems sensible in sort of a dog-eat-dog world where you don't want to, you know, kill or be killed. But, is that biblical? Well, no. Of course it's not. Jesus tackles this issue. In our text for this morning, Jesus tackles this issue of retaliation and shows us how people in his kingdom are to respond when they've been offended or hurt by someone. Now, this is particularly challenging for those of us who have grown up in, say, America, Australia, somewhere in the West, Canada, wherever it might be, the UK, because we, ha- we are people who insist upon our rights. Many of us were taught from a young age that we have certain unalienable rights as human beings and that nobody should ever, ever transgress these rights. Yet Jesus is telling us that his disciples, his followers, at the end of the day, should not have the outlook of, well, I'm a citizen who has rights, and don't you dare infringe upon these rights. 
But a Christian is someone who actually belongs to a different kingdom, a different way of living in the world that's driven by a spirit of love, not revenge. Even when our personal rights are actually infringed upon by someone. That is so countercultural today, is it not? I mean, think about our favorite movies Batman, The Avengers, maybe not some of you, that's just Ross, right? Spider Man, etc., etc. What do all of those guys have in common? They're all vigilantes, right? They all take justice into their own hands. I'm not saying they're, don't go watch those movies, they're bad. They're, they're fine, some of them are. But all those guys have in common what our society essentially plods today, don't we? That look, when there's injustice, if the cops are doing a lousy job at it, you better take it into your own hands. And thank the Lord for Batman because he whoops everybody <laughs> or whoever, right? And yet that's not the way that Jesus talks, is it? In fact, Jesus tells us that our response is supposed to be countercultural. Even when, even when someone attacks our personal dignity, our personal goods, our personal freedom, and our personal finances. And it's my prayer that we would begin to see that there is a righteousness greater and more beautiful than our self-justice. Ultimately, it's not about us standing on our own rights, but our willingness to serve. So before we unpack those thoughts, let's look to the Lord quickly in prayer together. Father, this is your word and it hits close to home. Lord, there can be few of us in this room this morning who have not wrestled with bitterness in our hearts towards others. And there can be few of us who have not struggled with an attitude that is self-serving and vengeful. And so we pray that you would bring your word to bear upon our hearts this morning. Show us our sin and then show us our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm really keen to unpack for us this idea of when our personal dignity and goods and freedom and finances are attacked. But in order to, I think, properly do that, we need to sort of step back and see what Jesus is getting at here. What's Jesus getting at in verse 38? Because he quotes the law of Moses. If, if you have your Bible there, you can look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Look at what he says. He says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now Jesus quotes from a number of Old Testament texts that talk about judicial law. Basically, there were laws in place so people didn't take matters into their own hands. For example, if you killed someone on accident, say you were plowing your field, right? A big agricultural society back then, and you happened to accidentally kill someone. Well, what these laws did was they protected 
that guy's family from hunting you down and taking vengeance upon you and killing you. There were cities of refuge that you could flee to. And so there was these laws. And so what, what Moses is getting at here, initially, he's setting up this judicial law so that um, you, you can be protected. Th- does that make sense? So, so there's, it's a protection against vigilantes and, and this idea of taking matters into your own hands and in, in being a vendetta, as it were. But in Jesus' day, remember he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say. See, the Pharisees were teaching that the law of Moses actually allowed for personal revenge. People could act upon their own bitterness and grudges and and justify all of it by pointing to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But notice in verse 39 how Jesus turns that on its head. He turns that upside down. Look what he says. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus keeps using this formula. He quotes the Old Testament text, and then he says, but I say to you, and just to be clear, Jesus is not overthrowing the Old Testament here, sort of chucking it out or denying its authority in any way. Remember what he already said? I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? but to fulfill it. In other words, it's not as if he's like, hey folks, hey guys, bro, hey, hey, my bros, my sisters, gather in, gather in, gather in, gather in. You know, Moses is a bit crotchety in his old age, you know? He, so he's a bit cranky and he wrote this eye for eye and tooth for tooth stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know it's found in Exodus. I know it's found in Leviticus. I know it's found in Deuteronomy, but well, let's just sweep out another rug, shall we? It's a bit, mm. No, no, no. Jesus is pulling from number Old Testament texts. But if you go look them up, if you go look them up, you'll notice that they're dealing with punishments at an institutional or state level. So Jesus isn't trying to erase or change laws on some parliamentary level, but his focus here is in between two people on a relational level. That's why he says, do not resist someone, the person. You see, it's, he's bringing it down, and then you have this idea of this person taking you to court, and this idea they want to take your cloak, and this, there's this slap going on. It, it, he's not talking about things at a state or institutional level. He's talking about at a relational level. And once again, Jesus affirms the original Old Testament commands, but he pushes it or expands it to a deeper, holistic way that penetrates the inner person. Which means... If you're a Christian here this morning, Jesus aims right at your heart saying, if you're going to follow me, you cannot be a vengeful, spiteful type of person. Let me ask you today, what are you struggling with? Is there bitterness for something done to you in the past that you're still nursing that you're still holding on to, as it were? Perhaps something not done to you. Perhaps something that you felt that you deserved and you got cheated and and, and someone close, perhaps a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a friend, a a business associate, a neighbor, a a minister, an elder, a deacon, and you've nursed that grudge and that grudge has become hatred and now all you want is revenge. Where are you struggling out here this morning? 
I wonder, as you picture on this Galilean hillside, these disciples and the crowds are gathered in and they're listening to Jesus teach. And he talks about the innocent being struck on the cheek, their clothes being stripped. You can't help but guess if their minds were drawn back to other passages in the Bible, particularly the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 50. Because in this passage, you have this man who is suffering in an unjust way. Right? He, he offered his back to those who beat him. He turned his cheek to those who shamefully ripped out his beard. He, he didn't hide his face from those who mocked and spat on him. I mean, this servant that Isaiah talks about is like no one else, like no one in Israel. Israel was arrogant. But this servant embodies meekness and humility. Israel as a whole was rebellious, but this servant gladly obeys God's word even when he is wronged and despised by others. Yet no matter how badly this guy is mistreated and mocked, he seems to have an unshakable confidence in the Lord through it all. This suffering servant is willing to be insulted and struck in the face. He takes the disgrace and shame on behalf of his people. And isn't Jesus, isn't the Lord Jesus the perfect example of this servant? I mean, he of all people did not resist evil being done to him, nor did he seek his own personal revenge when he was slapped and spit on. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to the Father. He took the humiliation and pain. He absorbed the wrath of God. And if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, just be honest for a moment. Think of all the ways that you've retaliated against people. Think of all the ways that you've made a cutting remark. Think about all the ways that you've maybe physically hurt someone, and you've retaliated. What will you do at the end? What will you do at the end when you have to stand before God and give an account of those things? Listen, just one of those sins just one of those sins, God can rightly judge you and condemn you to eternal fire, to hell forever. What will you do? Don't leave here today without turning to Jesus, this suffering servant. He was innocent, yet afflicted, on our behalf so that we might be free from eternal condemnation. Turn to Jesus right now and be forgiven of your sin. Now, to those of you who call yourself a Christian, how are we to understand the words of Jesus here? Is this just advocating pacifism? Right? Is that, what it's, is, that, is that what it's bad at kidding? I mean, should, should we take the words at face value? I know we're at church, so we can all rattle. Yeah, amen, woo, yeah. But then when you, on Tuesday, when you're heading out of Aldi shopping, and someone says, hey, can I, uh, I don't have a car. Can I have your car? Don't refuse the one who asks. 
Give them your car. And then they get in your car and then they, they see your address so they go show up and they go, I forgot to mention I don't have a house, so, you know, I need your house. You got a nice house. Hey, didn't you say amen in church? Didn't you say, oh, I believe in the words of Jesus? Especially if it's red letter in my Bible, I really believe it. <laughs> right? I mean, how, how are we supposed to you just, you know, someone knocks and you go, hey, I want your house. And you go, honey, we got, got about two hours to vacate out of here. This guy needs our houses. Don't, don't refuse the one, you know? Someone forces you, you know, hey, I need you to go the extra mile here. Doesn't it say that? Didn't Jesus say that? I mean, are we just then to look at Jesus' words and say, well, you know, clearly, clearly it's hyperbole here. Clearly it's exaggerated speech. I mean, didn't he even talk about gouging out eyes, cutting off hands? Oh, clearly that's what's going on here. Well, there's two imperatives. There's two commands given by Jesus. So, it's, so are we, we going to be in the habit of the type of people that we just sort of brush off when Jesus gives an imperative, a command? Oh, Jesus, you didn't really mean it. You know? I don't know about you, but, but when I read a passage like this one, I am carefully listening for the preacher, for the pastor to say something like, hey folks, obviously we can't take this literally. To which my response is, thank goodness. Because I'm not super keen on being slapped in the face, forced to go the extra mile, have people take my money from me. I mean, are you? Who is? Yet Jesus makes it clear that this sort of non-retaliation behavior is precisely what distinguishes a person in this world as a follower of Jesus. In fact, when you go read through, say, early Christian archives, right? So you got Jesus, then you've got the apostles, the apostles fade out. If you look at, say, what Christians are writing and talking about in the first and second century, how are they to understand these words? I mean, these were the guys that, you know, oh yeah, I knew Andrew, I knew so-and-so, I knew these apostles. Yeah, I was discipled by them, or my grandpa was. You see how close that is to, like, if you were to go back in the first and second century, how close that is to just, oh yeah, that's right, this guy was actually discipled by one. Like, you look at Polycarp. This man named Polycarp was discipled by who? John, the apostle. Okay, it doesn't mean that he's super special, but uh, I'd, be, I'd be pulling that, I'd be trumping that card. Who are you discipled by? Oh, one of the disciples himself. And when you look at these first and, cent- first and second century writings, how are they interpreting the words of Jesus? Because wouldn't that make, wouldn't be a little sense, make a little sense to say, ah, how are they interpreting it? Versus, you know, how we are in the 21st century or how your mate interprets it. Well, how do these people interpret it? Does that make sense? Especially, particularly when you look at one document called the Didache. The Didache. The Didache is, it's a helpful document um, written in the first and second century, which gave instructions on things like baptism and communion and prayer. And this early document was basically used as a guide when Christians gathered together each week. Now, I say all that because I'm going to throw this up here on the PowerPoint. Portion from the Didache, it's in Old English, because so whoever translated it translated it a couple hundred years ago, so it's in Old English because it would have been in Greek. But listen what the Didache says. So again, this is pretend we're first, second century church. This is how we're supposed to receive the words of Jesus. Look what the Didache says. Again, not scripture, not scripture, but these are people that are trying to say, how do we organize ourselves as Christians? It says this, if any man give thee a blow on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also, and thou shalt be perfect. 
If a man impress thee to go with him one mile, go with him too. If a man take away thy cloak and give, give him thy coat also, if a man take away from thee that which is thine own, and it is not back, uh, ask it not back, for neither art thou able. Now, again, that's pretty old English there. Someone obviously translated a couple hundred years ago. But it's interesting, pretty clear echo. What's my point in all of that? Pretty clear echo from the words of Jesus. Not only that, you don't see them doing what I just joked about and say, obviously, friends, we can't take this literally. That's not really how the church is, that's not really their, their message, is it? No. So then who are we to think that we can just dismiss it? So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want us to think about this idea when someone attacks your personal dignity, personal goods, personal freedom, personal finances, but with every one of those, I want to spin it this way. I want to spin it this way for you. I want us to ask three interpretive questions, as it were. Okay? Three questions, and that's this. Because what should we do with it? Should we accept it? Should we accept it? Should we reject it, dismiss it? Or should we and this is what I'm going to advocate for, discern it, discern it. Sort of a localized wisdom, because you need wisdom and creative, you know, prayer and energy to apply to different scenarios and situations. So, that said, there's four examples that Jesus lays out for us. And every, with every one of these examples, we, there's this, there's this spotlight onto our hearts, and I, and I hope you can feel that. So let's look at the first one about this idea of our personal dignity in verse 39. Verse 39, the end of verse 39, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You see that there? Famous passage in our Western society. A lot of these turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Th these are kind of idioms now in our Western society. Have you noticed that? It's interesting how Jesus notes which side of the face is struck, though. Luke doesn't. Jesus does. In other words, and I don't want to call someone up here, like, but I, I'm not going to do it. But I'm facing you guys. Okay? So if I want to, if I'm right-handed, and if I'm going to slap you on the cheek, what cheek am I going to hit? Think about it. The left cheek. So in order to slap you on the right cheek, what do I have to do? Backhand, which is such an insult. It's a gross insult, isn't it? I suppose, or, or, I could slap you with my right hand, hitting your left cheek, and then you turn the other cheek, and I use my even stronger, or my left hand, and I use my even stronger hand to hit you on the following cheek, or whatever it might be. But not, no matter how you look at that, it's a gross insult to someone's dignity. Is it not? It still happens today. When, you get a, when someone gets backhanded slapped, that, that's a total insult to somebody. He doesn't talk about someone punching you in the face. Now, this slap is a shameful insult. So let's ask three questions. Accept it, reject it, discern it. Accept it, reject it, discern it. Ready? Accept it. Well, let's just, let's just go, let's, for argument's sake, let's say we need to accept it every time. 
Well, this might be true to some sense, but think about back to what Jesus is talking about. Think about in the context. Jesus said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. What's he talking about? He's talking about judicial law, right? So he, it's, it's a call not to take vengeance, remember? That's, that's, the, that's the context that he's quoting there in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's not a call to take vengeance, but it is a call to equity, to justice by the courts of law. So if someone physically hits you, by all means, involve the authorities. It would be not wise, I don't think, to do otherwise. So, accept it. Well, there you go. Could just reject it. All right, if in the case of physical hitting, it would certainly be tempting to hit them back twice as hard. But remember, those who live by the sword die by the sword ultimately, Right? So I think the best option would be to discern it. Localized wisdom. Someone may not backhand you this week, but they'll likely insult your reputation and hurt your feelings. Jesus says that your reaction to this attack is what's going to demonstrate how the gospel has changed your life or not. When you're a citizen of the kingdom, when your outlook in life is not to this world, but to the next when you know what it means to be the blessed one who is meek, then you are able to take this kind of insult and simply turn the other cheek. And the person who insults you may begin to realize that there is actually nothing that they can do to you because they can never be your master. Because you are entrusting yourself to the Father. Think of Stephen. Stephen. In the book of Acts, he's a prime example of this. This man desired that people hear the message of Jesus and was willing to put his own life on the line for it and was killed. And what does he pray as he's being killed? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Okay, let's move on from personal dignity now to personal goods in verse 40. Personal dignity to personal goods. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Um, there are sort of two gar garments worn by Jews. There's a picture of it. If you look up here at the PowerPoint, you had your outer garment and your inner garment. Uh, I guess that was their version. You know, the outer coat was what kept you warm. The inner coat sort of like your, I guess, would be like a singlet today. Um, and, and Jesus is saying, look, if someone forces you to actually wants to take your outer garment. Give them both. Give them both. Now, again, should we accept that? Should we reject that? Or should we discern it? Well, if we accept it, if, if you allow someone to take your tunic and then your cloak, well, you'll essentially end up nude. <laughs> and no first century Jew would have gone home from court in a loincloth. So, accepting it at face value is a bit silly. Should we reject it then? Right? If your knee-jerk reaction, when someone takes something from you, is you better give it back to me. I'll sue you. I'll get that back. I'll get mine. Then if you find yourself doing that, when it affects your goods, you're too attached to those goods. So we need to discern it. We need to be able to recognize our attitudes towards our possessions when we feel cheated, when we feel gypped by someone. Oh, you forgot my birthday? Well, I'll just conveniently forget yours next year. 
Are you quick to press your interests despite the needs of others? Are, are, are we willing, friends, to bear and to forego our rights for the sake of our brothers and sisters? As followers of Jesus, we must make choices in hard situations that reflect a deliberate agenda of love. A few verses prior to this, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Are we peacemakers when we are offended? It is in those hard times which cost us time and money when we find out what's really in our hearts. We can think that we're growing in the Lord and then we are so brutally hurt by someone and immediately our response is anger, hate, and vengeance. We want nothing else to see this person done in. Be careful if that's in your heart this morning. And I caution you, be careful. You may not know God. How do we respond when someone attacks our personal dignity? How do we respond when someone attacks our personal goods? And now, verse 41, our personal freedom. Quite peculiar here. Verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What's going, what's this, what's going on here? Jesus is teaching in Israel, remember? It's on a sermon, Sermon on the Mount, hillside in Galilee. And he's teaching in a time when the land is occupied by the Roman Empire. A Roman soldier could stop anyone in the street and say, hey, you, carry this. Carry this for a mile. A mile back then was a thousand paces, okay? So a Roman soldier could do that. And how imposing might that be on your liberty? How really uh, an intrusion? What kind of, how annoying would that be? for someone to do that. Um, we even see this if, if when Jesus is trying to carry his cross to Golgotha, right? There's that man, Simon. And what does the Roman soldier do? You, help him, carry the cross. That's part of law. That's part of Roman law. So what do we do here? Do we accept it? Yeah, yeah, I'll just carry it. Okay, 999, 1,000. I'm done. I did it. Tick. I accepted it. Yep. Fine. I'll go the extra mile. I guess I have to. It's part of the law. Maybe. Do we reject it? Carry your own junk, pal. Or do we discern it? And so there you are, tracking along in the heat of the day, right? Carrying this dude's stuff. And Jesus says Take it as an opportunity to, good, to do good to this man. Not just the mile, but go further. When the gospel has changed you, your reaction after the first mile is actually able to have a smile. It says, you know, I think I have enough energy to carry this another thousand paces. The second mile is where you see the difference. Take the opportunity to show that you are so free from insisting on your own rights, you can actually serve him. A thousand paces is all you had to do. And you say, I'll go actually another thousand paces. A Roman soldier at that point said, why would you do that? Why on earth would you do that? You must be different. When your liberty, when your freedom is invaded, Self says, 
look, I've got my rights, but the gospel says, how can I serve you further? Think about how counterintuitive this is, particularly as Jesus is talking for zealots listening to this who hate the Roman Empire. Nevertheless, the attitude of Jesus' disciples under such circumstances cannot be spiteful or vengeful, but willing to help, even willing to go the extra mile. So personal dignity, personal goods, personal freedom, and finally, personal finances, and that's found in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus challenges our response to those in distress, those who are in need of our assistance. So let's ask our three questions again. Accept, reject, discern. Accept. This does not mean that followers of Jesus need to give endless amounts of money to any and every person who asks. Think back to the situation with your car or your house. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't what? Doesn't eat. So we could just reject it and say, sweet, I ain't giving nothing to nobody. Be tight-fisted. Cheapo. I'm not giving anything to anybody. Didn't Pastor Rob say, you know, hey, we can't take this literally after all, and, uh, you know, we can't give everything away. I got my house, I got my car, I got my stuff. It's my stuff. I worked for it. Not him, not her. It's mine. I think the better call is to discern it. How do we respond to those in need? Do we give out of love and generosity or reluctantly thinking about how much fun we could have had with that money? How much better life would be if we kept the money and went on that extra holiday instead of giving it to some kid in Indonesia who needed your help? Where's your heart at this morning? The whole thrust of Jesus' teaching here is that we lay down our rights for the sake of others. Friends, the overarching principle for us is not our rights, but our willingness to serve. And what a great opportunity with Compassion International being here to think about how can I serve. And I really liked how, Bruce, how you said, look, this might just be a short-term thing, though it's better for a long-term thing. But maybe you can say, yeah, you know what? I could do this for the next six months. I could do this for the next year. In closing, I thought about this last night on the bus. I missed the first bus and I was agitated about it. And then I tried to crash, tried to crash a wedding anniversary, but they were, the people, they weren't having it. You know who you are. In closing, I did think about this. Some of you might be sitting here today thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not a spiteful person. I don't strike back because your temperament is, you're, you're, you have a pacifist temperament. But perhaps the way in which you take revenge, the way in which you retaliate is more passive-aggressive. You may not say anything hurtful to the person's face or push them back physically, but you wait until that person is no longer in the room. And when you get around others, as a way to sort of vindicate yourself, to get back at the person who hurt or offended you. You gossip about them. You slander this person. Well, you wouldn't believe what they said. 
you wouldn't believe the way that they're acting. And in that moment, you feel a sense of justice. You feel like you've gotten that person back. It vindicates you in a way. And, and in your mind, hey, you turn the other cheek because when that person offended you, you didn't do anything. You didn't push them. You didn't yell at them. You didn't give a snarky remark back. But what you did instead was you doubly sinned. I just was blown off steam. No, you were gossiping. You were slandering that person. And instead of doing the biblical thing, which you should have done, you actually just said, oh, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. Um, because I'm to have a passive-aggressive type, I know I'll just wait until, again, that person's not there. And I'm just going to sort of, you know, I just need to get this off my chest. You're still retaliating. Does that make sense? You're still retaliating and you're actually gossiping. So way to go. Instead of sinning once, you sent twice. So where's your heart today? Is it filled with love or with bitterness? If it is filled with bitterness, you will never be able to extract yourself from that bitterness by your own strength. You need the grace of Jesus Christ. And the only way you can get that grace is to trust in him, to rest in him. I would invite you to do that now as we look to him in prayer and we take communion together. Lord Jesus, this is a penetrating word that you gave to your disciples and you give to all of us who are your disciples and who follow you. Help us to not be people that just accept it blindly. Help us to not be people that just reject it because of our hardness of heart. But help us to be people who, by your spirit, discern it with every way that we can, with every different scenario that comes our way this week. Lord, we know that you did not strike back. You turned the other cheek. You took the insults. Lord, you did that for us. So Lord, even though we've sinned, even though we've gossiped, even though we've slandered, even though that we've retaliated and, and hurt people with, with our words, Lord, we can look to you, our great high priest, who never, ever sinned. And we can have your righteousness because you are our trailblazer. You are a great high priest who goes before us. And Lord, we, we praise you for that. We pray that there, if there's those here, Lord, would they sink even now in the weight of their sin, seeing, Lord, that, that hell's mouth is open, wide, ready to suck them down if they don't repent. But, Lord, you offer forgiveness even now. And, Lord, show them the futility of trying to ch just turn another leaf, just change on their own. Lord, it's only by your spirit can someone, can someone have a heart of stone removed and given a heart of flesh and be a new creation. So, Lord, would you work that miraculously even now would you grant that person repentance and faith? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.